Hey, everyone. I'm Jen Garrett, and welcome to the Move the Ball podcast. On this podcast, we are going to talk about how to succeed in business and in life by putting winning strategies into practice to help you advance faster. So if you're looking to move forward and reach that next level of greatness, then you are in the right place. Now get ready. Let's suit up, show up, and move the ball. Hey everyone, Jen Garrett here. It's so great to be back with you for another episode of Move the Ball. If you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode and also leave us a review. Now we're currently in my special Women in Leadership series and I've got a special guest with me today. So inside the huddle with us and ready to help us to move the ball is Bridget Case. Bridget is a journalist and she's also the creator, producer and host of the After Orange Slices podcast. Bridget went to the University of Oregon, where she was an Oregon cheerleader for four seasons during the Oregon football reign, and she was also game captain her senior year. After college, Bridget later pursued her dream of dancing at the professional level and was an NFL cheerleader with the San Diego Chargers. Bridget, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Jen. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, I'm glad that we're, we, we're able to find time and have you on the show. I'm really looking forward to our chat today. So share with us, what was it like being in Oregon, great football time and being a college cheerleader? I mean, it was such a magical time in my life. I always look back and think, man, I've already peaked. But then I always say now my new thing is, the best, most beautiful mountain ranges have multiple peaks. So, you know, we'll, we'll get back there at some point. Um, but yeah, it was the best time of my life. It was so incredible just because there was this unbelievable camaraderie um, between students and fans and everybody involved with the school. And like, like you said, like I was there during their most successful time. I cheered in three BCS, BCS football games and one was uh, the national championship. So going to all those bowl games and just getting so much exposure in the sports world was so incredible for me, you know, just growing up a lifelong football fan, um, that it really just inspired me so much and made me realize how much I wanted to be in sports um, the rest of my life. And so you were a football fan at a really young age. What was it about football that really drew you into the game? That's a great question. Uh, Honestly, like, I think it started just because my dad watched football. My dad was my hero and I always would watch with him. He would put us in the car on Saturday mornings. My bro little brother and I would be in our pajamas. We would go and we'd drive to get bagels and smoothies and coffee. And then we'd come back home and we'd be all wrapped up in blankets and we'd sit on the, on the couch all day long and just watch football. Oh my gosh. It was such a nice time for me because I felt like we all had something to bond over. I don't think I realized that at the time, but it just was our thing. And we had this routine and we had um, season tickets growing up to the UCLA football game. So I grew up a huge UCLA fan. That was just the most fun that I ever had in my life was going to games and having something to cheer with each other for. I don't know if there was like one defining moment. I think it was just having those experiences and sharing them with my dad. And then eventually like our whole family that really made me love the game. It's like that smell, that's something, you know, just the atmosphere of those memories are what really drew me in. Gotcha. And were you more focused on watching college football then as a kid or were you yeah. watching NFL football too? Yeah, that's a funny story, actually. So I never really understood as a kid why we we would watch a couple NFL games, but we weren't really allowed to have um, too much football on on Sundays. And later in life, I 
come to find out that it was because when my parents got married, my mom gave my dad an ultimatum and said he could pick one day for football during the weekend. And so he obviously picked Saturdays because, you know, UCLA was his alma mater, his, our entire family went to UCLA. It was, um, you know, UCLA sports was a big part of my dad's life. And so, you know, he picked college football. Yeah. Growing up mostly like my mom wouldn't let him have football on until, you know, I went to college and my parents came up for every game at Oregon. My mom just like fell so much more in love with the game, even though she'd been to games as a fan our entire life, uh, that she just really grew to love it. And then my dad was allowed to uh, have the NFL on again all day. <laughs> so oh, now we have, okay. you know, red zone on all day. But yeah, it's just, it's so funny. Gotcha. That's, a fun, that's funny. Um, see, I was interesting. I grew up in Chicago, diehard mm-hmm. Chicago Bears fan. And so I watched NFL football. I went to undergrad at Cal State Long Beach, which did not have a college football team. When I was there, they had, they got rid of it. Terrell Davis used to play there. And then he went to Georgia Mm -hmm. after they got rid of the program, but they didn't have the program when I was there. And so I didn't have that college football experience as an, you know, an 18 year old kid. So I am an Alabama alum. So now I'm all into college football. Um, But, uh, but it was always like every Sunday, that was my thing. And Mm -hmm. Saturdays, if I didn't watch football, it was okay. Like it wasn't as big a deal now. It's right. every, like, I'm always watching football exactly. every day. day. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's funny. So share with us. So after college, you ended up becoming a cheerleader, professional cheerleader with the San Diego Chargers. What was that like, especially being that that was a team that you would watch? Yeah, that was really a magical moment for me. I think, you know, I'd grown up my entire life. And since I grew up in Orange County, when you grow up a competitive dancer, you're either hoping, if, unless you go the ballerina route, you're expecting to either go to move to LA and uh, just do commercial dance and do music videos. And you know, that, that industry is totally different now just with social media and everything. But, or you would um, go dance professionally for a team. And so it was either you try out for Lakers or you try out for Chargers because those were the only two things we had at the time. So all my life, you know, most of the women that I danced with my entire life all would go and, and do Laker girls. But I always had my eye on Charger girls just because I thought that there was such a different presence in the NFL that was so special. And, and what's so great about the team, of course, they're not in San Diego anymore, but at the time, since they were the only Southern California team, uh, they had such a high caliber of talent and the auditions were really, really difficult. And most people that I knew who auditioned never made the team. So it was something that was always on my mind. I, I specifically made sure that I graduated college early, uh, a semester early, so that I would be able to get down to tryouts because, um, you know, Oregon, well, we were on the quarter system technically, so I graduated a quarter early, but, you know, I had to, I had to leave school and I, I didn't end up graduating. I mean, I graduated, I didn't end up walking, you know, I never wore cap and gown, but it was just something that I always had planned. I knew that it was a really, really good team. Um, but yeah, I think like, just growing up, knowing that that was something I wanted to accomplish. That was kind of my last big major goal. Oh, that's awesome. And what would you do to prepare? I mean, obviously you have to be very talented. There's a lot of competition, but what would you do so that you would be able to perform at your best when it came to the auditions? Uh, That's a good question. I mean, besides a lot of training, like the, you know, the physical training that comes with it, 
honestly, like just getting to know the organization, because a lot of times you will be tested. There are many oral interviews. One is a panel interview and one's a one-on-one and they really do test your knowledge about the chargers. And, you know, if you, you have to be a real fan, you can't be what everybody thinks is a stupid cheerleader because you don't know anything about football. That is so not true because you won't make the team if you don't know anything about football. So honestly, like as, even though I grew up a huge football fan, there was a whole different level for me um, as far as making sure, okay, I've got to know my stuff. Uh, There's no room for error here. It was intense. Um, I just did a lot of, a lot of studying. So were the questions more technical football things or were they more like Charger history? All over the place. It was weird. I would say more Chargers history, but definitely they would throw wrenches in there. You would not expect. And yeah. And then of course, personal questions and I think mattered more, but still it was really interesting. Like they would just really try to throw you off. It was hard. Gotcha. And how was it being an NFL cheerleader? Because I know you also had other work. And so that's not the oh, a lot of cheerleaders have other jobs, right? Yeah. That's not the full-time job. And there's it's a lot of work and there's a lot of practices, but there's other jobs that people have while balancing being a cheerleader. So how was that like for you uh, just balancing the cheerleading demands along with your other work? Yeah, it was definitely very difficult. We have this motto in the NFL cheerleading world. It's a full-time, it's a part-time job, but a full-time commitment. It is truly exactly that uh, because you have to give your entire life to the organization. You are expected to be on call. You're expected to not go to work on, you know, Monday night football or Thursday night football. Uh, and it makes it really difficult to have another job because of course the source of income is not enough to sustain. It's a little bit, I wouldn't say easier for students, but since you only have to be 18 to try out for the team. We would have a few college students on the team that I think managed it a little bit better just because uh, it's a little bit easier to get out of class than I feel like than it is to take a day off from work and for a job to also understand that that is your first priority. So when I first broke into the journalism industry, I was doing an internship in Palm Springs and like you know, the, the desert and San Diego are very far apart. It's about two, a two, two and a half hour drive. And so I, oh my gosh, I was going crazy, but it was really difficult for me to find somewhere who understood that I was trying to get my foot in the door in this, in the industry, but also that being a cheerleader came first. So luckily I had that there, but it took a while. Like my first, my first um, year on the team, I was still adjusting and I was taking odd jobs here and there. I wasn't really able to get into the broadcast journalism industry because the team was my first priority. Um, And and it has to be, and you're, you know, kicked off if you miss something and it's not an emergency. So it's, it's intense. Like I said, I mean, intense is the word I will forever repeat. Gotcha. And so share with us, I guess, share with us, what was one of your most funnest, it's not a word, but what what is one of the most fun moments? That you had being a charter, a Chargers cheerleader. Um, honestly, I would say when we went to France, I got to go to France for a week and represent the NFL there, and it was just the coolest thing. Um, we it was in Saint Tropez, so south of France. That was just an incredible part of the world that I probably never would have 
gone to. You know, everyone thinks of Paris or the, the bigger parts of France, but that's such an interesting corner of the world. And I got to meet a lot of really, really cool people, um, a lot of people in, biz- in the business world that were very well known. And they just appreciated so mu- uh, us so much. And it was so interesting to see how different fans from around the world reacted to American football and American cheerleaders coming to their country because they don't have anything like that. Sure, you know, the NFL goes over to London and, and, and Mexico. And I, I think that having games overseas is fantastic, but it's so different when they have a community to interact with. Um, and I think that's what we as NFL cheerleaders, as ambassadors for not only the organization, but the league are able to do is really bridge that gap between the fan and the, the game. Absolutely. So let me ask you this question. So you've been a football fan your entire life. You've obviously uh, participated as a professional cheerleader. So the highest level of, of cheerleading, highest level of football. When you look at um, your fellow cheerleaders or the athletes that were, were out on the field, were there any lessons or things that you observed from them that you've taken away and said, you know what, this is an important thing that I'm observing and it's important that I implement in my life to be successful going forward? Yeah. Uh, hmm. I wouldn't say necessarily that I, this is something that I got from other people, but I would just say during my time with the chargers and even my time at Oregon time management was just huge. Uh, you, you know, there's no room to be late. If you're late, you're kicked off the team. Um, mm-hmm. and, and just, you know, prioritizing what's important in your life. And I think I have so much of a better, I'm not perfect, but I have so much of a better grasp on what's important in life than a lot of my friends who weren't on a college or professional team, just because you have to be able to make really difficult decisions about what you care about and, you know, your social life, you don't really have a social life, uh, especially actually growing up. That was the majority of it. But it's definitely been time management prioritizing and the time management factor. Wow. Has really translated big time into uh, the journalism industry for me. And, and when I first got my couple uh, first jobs at stations as a sports anchor, I was just, you know, so pressed for time all the time. And I think time management project uh, management was something that was a huge translation for me. Yeah, you bring up a really good point because it's we all have the same amount of time every single day. Mm-hmm. I've talked about this on the podcast before. Everybody has 1,440 minutes, no more, no less. And so it's really up to if you're not achieving the things that you want in your life, you need to really look back and say, well, how am I spending my time? each day. And when you look at those that are successful, they've gotten figured out, right? They prioritize the things that are important and mm-hmm. they, they cut out the other things. And so I think that's such an important lesson that no matter what field you're in, that applies across the board. I 100% agree. And that's the thing too, is there's so much that we can learn from each other, no matter what field you're in. And I think that's become much more prevalent within the last few years because there's social media, because there are so many ways for us to communicate with each other when we're not in the same room. Uh, but I think it's so important to remember that, man, you know, that person has nothing to do with my big dreams or my industry, but I can learn a lot from them. And I started to do that when I started to focus more on business leaders um, and just leaders in, in our world in general, rather than just keeping myself pigeonholed into the journalism industry. 
Absolutely. Yeah, I always tell people you can learn from every interaction that you have with people is an opportunity to learn, right? Just because they're not in your space doesn't mean you can't take away something from that exchange or learn something that could be very relevant to you and helpful for you as you continue to, to mm -hmm. advance in your career or to you know, excel in your business. So let's talk about the journalism space. It, it's a very competitive field. It's, uh, it can be tough too as a woman in the, in the sports arena. So talk to us about what are some of the challenges that you face as you are looking to grow your career? Man, I, I have to say, I think it is one of the toughest industries to be a woman in just because there is so much bullying, not from people or, or just doubt, not from just people you work with, but because it's a public industry. Uh, you, you just get roasted if you get one fact wrong or people don't believe you because they think you're beautiful. So how could you ever know anything about sports? Uh, so especially the, the sports journalism side of things, um, I've never really been taken 100% seriously by a male co-anchor that I've had, you know, the, just the subconscious things that come out of their mouth where they don't even realize that it's offensive. I think that's what's so wrong with our society is we have such a subconscious bias about anything. Um, we don't even realize when we're being sexist. And I think there's been so many times where I was so doubted just because, oh, well, she's a former cheerleader. Like she probably just got that job because, you know, she looks a certain way or, or whatever. And at my last uh, station, when I was a sports anchor up there, up in Washington, I never told anybody that I was a cheerleader because I didn't want people to know because I wanted people to take me seriously and appreciate me on my merit, um, appreciate my journalism skills. And so that was something that was difficult for me because I felt like I lost a huge part of my life. You know, I grew up in a, a competitive dancer since I was two years old. I, and then becoming a cheerleader on the national level was something that was so, such a prideful moment for me. And I felt like I lost that because I was trying to shy away from it. So once I left uh, the traditional TV world about a year and a half ago, I started embracing that again. And it was incredible, the response from people. Of course, I still had all of the haters. Um, I, I just joined TikTok and I think I'm posting great content. I really, really enjoy it. And, but the amount of people, oh my gosh, ignorant males who just post the most disgusting things um, about me. It's just, you know, go, go get back to the kitchen. The dishes are waiting for you. Just those really, really sexist remarks uh, that are so offensive. It's definitely made me a lot stronger and you, you have to have a lot of grit to get to this industry. And for me being doubted anytime, that's what fuels my fire and makes me want to work harder. I had a trainer in December who was not even realizing what he was saying, but uh, he was having a conversation with me and another uh, client, and he was talking about how the spectrum of sports has changed over the years, the world, the atmosphere. And he just said, and no offense, Bridget, but I effing, he drops an F-bomb, I effing hate female sports analysts. They have no idea what they're talking about. So wow. that was a really impactful moment in my career because it pissed me off, of course. And I was like, at first I was like, shoot, should I say something? Like, should I just not care? Let it roll off my back. And I was like, mm -mm, no way. Like there's, uh, uh. And so I just went off on him and I just said, you know, if you have to ever say, and no offense before saying something, it's probably offensive. Uh, and the problem was the biggest issue was when I explained to him, he didn't even realize why it was offensive. 
offensive. He was more concerned that he hurt my feelings. And he thought I, I was pissed because I'm like, you didn't hurt my feelings. You just offended any woman who has ever had to fight for equal treatment, equal rights in the workplace. Any, yeah, any, yeah. you know, any industry. It was just, it was one of those things too, where he tried to put his hand on me to like, be like, they're there on, a, on my shoulder. And I pulled away and he kind of gave me that look as if I were the crazy woman who, you know, was just being psycho because so many times, because we want equal treatment, because we want to be taken seriously, a lot of times men will, and I'm not saying all men, I hope this doesn't come off like I'm a man hater because I'm definitely not. But I had so many men who have been kind of like, oh, well, she's, you know, she's crazy because she is too passionate about this. She thinks this, you know, whatever. And I, I hate that. Like I never call a woman crazy. I think it is one of the most offensive things to say. And I've had enough therapy, I feel like, in my life that I can say that. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. So mm-hmm. let's talk about, so you are currently, you host a couple podcasts, but let's talk about your After Orange Slices podcast. Tell us about why you started it and what you focus on. Yeah. So I first started the podcast because I didn't mean to purposely leave the television industry, but I was in between jobs and I wasn't getting enough calls. My agent was being silent and there just wasn't enough going on for me. It's kind of what a lot of traditional journalists are experiencing right now during the pandemic. So I was like, you know what? Screw it. I'm just going to start a podcast. I had no idea it was going to be as successful as it has. And and I don't mean just the podcast, but I mean, it's turned into this whole brand for me. And after Orange Slices was really a passion project at first, just to be able to let things out. Like I said earlier, um, I had a really difficult time transitioning into life after my sport, just because that was my identity, my entire life. And all of a sudden your body isn't your job anymore. It was very strange. You know, I wasn't watching what I was eating as much. Of course I, I watched it like a normal human, but, um, it was so different. And I, and, and just the, you know, not working out multiple times a day. Um, I'm like, you know, I can just work out whenever I want. So yeah, it was, it was definitely an interesting uh, transition. And I think not fully accepting that at the time when it happened was difficult for me. And so having the podcast, my first podcast was a way to process that it was kind of therapeutic for me. And then all of a sudden I, started getting, you know, gaining traction on social media and people really responded to me opening up and me being honest because for so long as a journalist, I felt like I had to be this, this talking head on TV that people just got their news from. No one really knew who I was. Nobody knew who the the struggles that I had been through in my life, my, you know, dealing with mental health, uh, recovering from an eating disorder, just all of the things that made me me. And once I was on social media and doing the podcasts, I was able to just all of a sudden talk freely. You know, I didn't have a filter and that's what people really um, responded to. So that's, that's how the podcast started. And it's just grown into something that's such an honest platform for anybody who wants to come on and share their story. It started as a way for people to talk about their transition into life after sports, because that's something that resonated with me and a lot of the people in my life. But turned into something so much more, just talking to successful people in whatever industry it may be. And I always try to bring it back to sports, but uh, yeah, it's, it's been the most incredible reward I could have ever, never imagined in my life because I didn't plan this, you know, it was kind of an accident. And sometimes I think like God truly does have a plan for you um, that the best things are waiting for you. If you could just follow that and not worry so much about your goals and exactly how you thought your career is going to turn out. 
Absolutely. Yeah. And I've shared this one with other people on the show before that, you know, my, my plan was to be a fortune 500 CEO and, mm -hmm. and kind of be on that path and uh, events happen. And I kind of went down a completely different direction. And so here I am on the entrepreneurial journey and it's been great so far, but I never, I never envisioned that, you know, you have to right. be open-minded and just kind of take, take things that life throws at you and find those opportunities and roll with them. Absolutely. And that's the thing. Once I let go and I just rolled with the punches, I was so much happier. I was less stressed about, oh my gosh, well, I haven't been on air. I haven't had a live shot in this many days. Oh my gosh. Like I'm not, I'm, I should have been working at this, this high of station by the time I was, you know, this age, whatever. And once I stopped worrying and stopped caring, oh my gosh, everything was so much easier. And I started just enjoying working more. And yes. I love working for myself, but yeah, I would have never thought to do it. Yes. Yeah. There's definitely some benefits um, to working for yourself. There's obviously some, some trade-offs there that you make, but 100%. I'm loving, <laughs> I'm loving the journey. So share with us, where can people find your podcast? How can they listen to it? Yeah. So you can find the After Orange Slices podcast, wherever you're listening podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you're listening to this podcast right now, uh, just search After Orange Slices or head to my Instagram at after orange slices and everything's linked um, on there. Perfect. So now Bridget, what I want to do is I want to switch to my lightning round. I've got seven mm -hmm. fun questions. Are you ready? Yes, I am definitely ready. Okay, here we go. What book are you currently reading or what podcast are you currently listening to? Uh, I love the good for you podcast with Whitney Cummings, the comedian, because I think it's so much more of a different way that we see comedians and, and people in Hollywood, the industry. Um, I just really enjoy it. It's such an honest, open conversation that inspires me to be more honest on my podcast. Nice. All right. Next question is what do you do to take a time out and decompress? Uh, I do a puzzle. I love puzzles and I usually have one out and I will try to take a puzzle break um, almost every day because it's so therapeutic for me having something to do with my fingers. Um, it's just a great way. And I encourage everybody to get back to puzzles. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. I was never good at puzzles. I like them, but then like Me the puzzles, you get yeah. frustrated because you're not finding pieces. A hundred percent. And that's the thing is like, I feel like once I stopped, I calmed down about, you know, worrying about if I was going to finish it or not. It was so much more just fun for me. And I didn't really enjoy them that much as a kid, but now, oh my gosh, I, I love them so much. I, I love it when, you know, somebody gives me a new puzzle. That's great. I love that. Um, my next question is, who has been an influential woman in your life? Definitely my older cousin. We grew up kind of like sisters because neither of us had sisters. And she's an entrepreneur. Uh, and she is about six years, almost six years older than me. So she's ahead of me when it comes to her success in the entrepreneurial environment. And I've admired her so much because she's been told no so many times. She has a proposal planning business. It's called the Yes Girls, if anybody wants to go find it or if you're hoping your boyfriend is, will propose to you soon. And it was something that she was just so, I think, not taken seriously because she was a woman who loved love and loved marriage. And a lot of people were like, there's no industry for that, blah, blah, blah. And she's become, you know, the first proposal planner in America and been featured on all of these different platforms on the Today Show, on Travel Channel, in LGQ, like so many, so many publications. I'm so proud of her, but it's, I've seen every difficult step that she's taken and how she has overcome 
so much adversity and not listen to the haters. She's just really incredible and really inspires me. Well, that's awesome. All right, my next question is, what is the best piece of advice you've gotten from a coach or a mentor? Stop comparing yourself to others, especially as an athlete. It's very, very easy to do that just because, okay, yeah, you want to compare your skill to, to learn from somebody, but if comparing yourself to others is what is keeping you from being happy, then stop doing it. And that's so big to remember on social media. Once I let go of that and I stopped worrying and I stopped being jealous of other women who had jobs that I thought I deserved more, I was so much happier. So just let it go and just work on yourself. Absolutely. Great piece of advice. And I think that people get so caught up in looking at what people are posting mm -hmm. on social media. And people have to remember that that's only a small piece. What you see is what people choose to allow you to see. That's not representative. Everyone's life yep. isn't great 24 seven. It's the highlight Everyone reel. That's what, that's what people post. Yes, it is. There are some people that do open up, but most people don't. They just want you to see, hey, look at me on this fancy vacation, right? Or here I am at Disney, but it's not like, well, here I am, you know, on a Monday morning when my kids are spilling stuff all over the table and I have to clean up this mess exactly. as I'm trying to get out the door. Like you don't see that stuff. And let me tell you, it's 2020 and I think so many more people are fed up and sick of the highlight reel, seeing all of the look at me on social media and responding so much more positively to the people who are being real. And that was, like I said, that was a big thing for me when I got back on Instagram. So side note, I got off of Instagram for two and a half years just because I needed a big break. It was so toxic for me. I was, you know, upset anytime somebody got engaged or pregnant or, you know, I wasn't invited to something with girlfriends and I, there was a picture taken. It was really, really detrimental to my mental health. And so I got off of Instagram for two and a half years. It was the best thing I ever did. If anybody is feeling that way, please do it. You don't need to do two and a half years, but just take a little break. I always say that. Uh, and now I'm able to be back on social media and be a positive influence for so many people in the mental health community, in the sports community, in the business community, in, and just for women in general, um, because I've been through it and I understand, but I also understand how different posts affect people. And I purposely mute a lot of people who I, you know, sometimes get triggered by or jealous of. Um, and it doesn't mean I don't love them. They should probably take it even as a compliment, but I mute people or I don't follow people. And I will be honest, anytime I get on Instagram, I just go straight to my feed. I don't look at anybody else's pictures. Um, I have an assistant who helps me. And so I have her go in and, you know, like other pictures for me or engage or, you know, you, you got to find a system that works for you. And that for me has been the best way to manage my mental health. Absolutely. That's a great piece of advice. And thank you for sharing mm -hmm. um, that as well. So I'm going to flip it now and ask you, what's the best piece of advice that you would give someone? Yeah. Okay. So you know how everybody always says, just do it. Like just start. If you have an idea or you want something, you got to just get in there. Just start. Doesn't matter if you're not ready. Ready is a lie. I completely disagree, 100%. For me, I felt like I needed to go through the shit and fail a ton before I was ready to start anything myself, before I was ready to really 100% focus on work. Because especially when I left the NFL, I was really, really focused on what everyone thought of me, uh, not missing out. I had, you know, FOMO. Uh, I, I wanted my social life more almost than my career at the time. And I didn't realize that until I had all of these really horrible, things happen to me. So I realized that I realized now that I needed all that time and I needed to experience so much pain and hardship and heartbreak before I could be strong enough, not just for myself, but for other people. 
um, to do the things that I always wanted to do. I, I truly believe that, you know, if I had gotten the certain jobs that I had interviewed for and, and failed, I would not be the, per- the half the person that I am today. I, I think I'd be more um, superficial and, and just not grateful for the things that I have been through. So I, I truly, truly believe like if you're too scared to do something, yeah, you shouldn't not do something out of fear, but if you don't feel ready, that's okay. There is time in life. There's always time. I know everyone says life is short, but if you think that way, you're never going to be happy. And you're always going to be worried about getting to the next thing. The grass is greener everywhere else. For me, I 100% believe you have to be ready and fully okay to accept your destiny because before you go into something, into a project, into a new job, you know, starting a company, because you're not going to be happy. Otherwise you'll be too consumed with all of the goals that you had and you won't be able to accept the incredible things that would happen to you just because that's God's plan for you and not your own plan. Absolutely. Yeah. There, people feel pressured to like, I got to go do this right now. Exactly. And, and it's your point. I mean, if you're, if it's fear that's stopping you, just get out there and do it. Mm-hmm. Right. But, mm-hmm. but if you don't feel ready because you just need time for you, that is okay. You don't feel like you have to get into some, take care of you first. A hundred percent. I so agree. Yep. All right. So my next question is what is one thing that most people don't know about you? Uh, so I, a lot of people will not believe this, but my therapist will come and my parents will confirm I am an absolute introvert. So I can converse with people easily. And I really, really have loved this time at home. This is not downplay the fact that we are in a pandemic and there are so many horrible things going on in our world. But for me, it has been a really great time because I can work from home and I don't have to go anywhere. Um, I have really bad social anxiety. So I, will cancel plans a lot of times with friends. Um, I won't communicate just be- when I start to fall into a depression. I, I'm very, I wouldn't say afraid, but it's just, I'm, I'm very much a homebody. So because I am an introvert, the way that I process feelings and things with friends is a lot different than most people around me because I feel like in my industry, there are a lot of extroverts. For instance, my mom, when I was 16 years old, uh, my mom and two of her friends through me and two other girls a sweet 16 party and it was this huge surprise party i hate oh my my gosh jen like i hate surprises more than probably any person you will ever meet it was like one of the worst days of my life because i am so uncomfortable when all that attention is on me but also when i just don't know what's going on and it i hate parties for myself i love to give and throw parties for other people. But for me, it makes me so uncomfortable. I hate my birthday um, just because I don't like that attention on me. And it's so funny because people always be like, well, you performed your entire life for hundreds of thousands of people. And I'm like, yeah, that's different because, you know, they don't know me. um, And that's just me expressing myself. So it's, it's definitely difficult for me as an entrepreneur at first. Like, like I said, you know, I wasn't ready to break out of my shell and I've broken out of my shell since, but that doesn't change the way that I respond to conflict or how I feel. Um, Yeah, just being an introvert has definitely made it a lot easier, I think, for me to manage time at home because I'm not one of those people that's like, that needs to go out and do things every day. My mom is, and I'm, I'm living with my parents right now. And so my parents go out and do a lot of things still. But for me, I'm just so happy by myself at home my favorite thing to do is just be by myself and walk the dogs. And I I love being independent. And I think that's also what makes me a successful entrepreneur. I'm an extrovert, but I do like being at home during this time too. Mm -hmm. Um, It's nice to just kind of have quiet time uh, since my kids aren't here with me at the moment. Um, But, uh, but I do, I am enjoying being, 
being at home. I'm missing sporting events though. Yes. Uh, being in person, but, uh, but it is nice to, to kind of be at home and it's a great opportunity for all of us to just get to really connect with our families, you know, and our loved ones instead of in the hustle and bustle of going out and, and doing 100%. everything that we used to do before this whole pandemic. Yeah, definitely. I think we can learn a lot from this time. It's, it's really special. Absolutely. So my last question is, if you were stranded on an island and you could only bring one thing with you and you have everything you need to survive, what would that one thing be that you would want to have with you on that island? Can I say my pets? Sure. Yes, okay. that'll so work. We'll I, do your pets. I've got, I've got three animals that are mine. You know, my parents have one dog and then I have two dogs and a cat. And they are the most important thing in my life, um, mostly even just because like I'm staring at my dog right now, um, they sit next to me all day long and I pet them and they're, they're very, they're therapy animals for me. Um, just because they always make me feel worthy. And whenever I'm upset, that's what makes me feel better. There's something just so special about having an animal, um, and being an animal lover. So yeah, 100%, I'd be fine being stranded, being naked, having nothing as long as I have my animals. Gotcha. Okay, great. Well, Bridget, thank you so much for being on the show today. It's been a true pleasure. Let people know how can they connect with you on Instagram or any social channels? Yeah. So on Instagram, my handle is at after orange slices and it's just the name of my podcast. So you can go check out the after orange slices podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, and then I'm trying to really build my TikTok. So if you are on TikTok, go check it out. And I promise it's not just for Gen Zers anymore. It's getting really fun. There's a lot of educational content on there. Uh, so my TikTok is just at Bridget Case. Perfect. And we'll be sure to put those in the show notes as well. So you guys can follow Bridget and see what she's up to. And thank you, Bridget, so much for being on the show today. Absolutely, Jen. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. And thank you to everyone for listening to today's episode. And we will catch you next time. Until then, make sure that you, up, you show up and you move the ball. Thank you for listening to Move the Ball. To see more about what I'm up to and how I can help you to move the ball check out my website at www.jenniferagarrett.com. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode. And also join the Move the Ball Facebook group for even more content and to be a part of the Move the Ball movement.